Welcome to the Naked Podcaster. Get ready to hear the story of someone strong enough to bear it all. The Naked Podcaster is a representation of freeing yourself, giving you permission to be real in all your quirkiness, baggage, struggles to success, and tragedy to triumph. I'm so excited you're joining the journey. Your past doesn't define you, but it does lead you on a path to today. Let's get naked. Hello and welcome to the Naked Podcaster. Today I'm here with Nicoletta Morales. Nicoletta, how are you today? Hi, I'm great, Jen. Thank you so much for having me. So excited to be here and share the story with all of you. I'm so excited. And you have a blog and it's your name. It's nicolettamorales.blogspot.com. So, and I eventually we're going to talk about the random way we met uh, virtually, of course, (laughs) but tell me who you are now, what you're doing, what the blog's about. Just get us, get us up to speed on you right now. Yes, absolutely. So I am a blogger. I'm a writer. I'm an editor. I'm a journalist. I'm a mother. I'm a lot of things, but, um, I have an entertainment blog, as you mentioned, nicolettamorales.blogspot.com, which features kind of, um, I would say, People that are trying to be famous, they're doing something, whether they're artists, musicians, filmmakers, actors, whatever it might be, but they are the underdogs that still haven't reached that stage yet and they need that extra push. And I like um, sharing their story because sometimes they have a great story to tell. But I also freelance for write entertainment stories for FF2 Media, which is female filmmakers. Um, uh, website, uh, female directors. Um, I also freelance for Cultured Focus magazine in New York. Uh, and I'm an assistant editor for Health Magazine here in Chicago. So uh, I definitely try to do a lot and as much as I can. I also um, did PR recently. I mean, I've been doing PR for a while, but I did PR recently for, I have clients ranging from companies to well, I have had clients ranging from companies to people to celebrities to uh, what have you. So I try to be as involved as I can in what I like doing, which is entertainment and writing. <laughs> which is, that's a lot. <laughs> so people in entertainment, you like to write about them as much as possible. Absolutely. But I also like health. I mean, recently I got uh, the job as an editor in a healthcare magazine. And I seem to like the health aspect a lot as well it seems to I write stories there as well uh, help stories that that help people so I guess anything that helps people and and has a connection uh, but definitely I love the the entertainment aspect and more specifically film I love film and anything related to it <laughs> that's just my, my passion and I recently covered the Oscars this year for FF2 Media which was amazing uh, first time for me and first time for them. So um, it was it was a great experience. And I hope to go back next year, but we'll see if that will happen. <laughs> or if it was a one-time deal. <laughs> How exciting was that? I mean, take me to the... Because that's sort of maybe a fantasy for a lot of us, one way or the other, to actually experience the Oscars and you got to do it as like a normal person. <laughs> uh, not someone in the movies that's famous already. What was it like? How overwhelming was it? I mean, at first, 
just finding out that I was accepted to cover was overwhelming. I couldn't believe it. It was a dream come true because not every journalist is accepted to go. And especially being that I'm a first timer and even my publisher for FF2 Media was surprised. She was like, Nicoletta, how did you do it? What's your secret? And the secret is just simply I applied <laughs> and I simply got accepted, which was the difficult part. And so that was very exciting and getting there, just, just anticipation to this whole thing. I think what was interesting is, because I've never been to Hollywood before, when I saw Hollywood, it seemed like this rig kind of like rigid and um, not so clean place. <laughs> and then and then you see the Oscars um, kind of like looking like this great building in the middle of it with a bunch of um, security and doors and so forth. Um, so I look like a palace in the middle of, of nowhere, a palace in the middle of a dingy neighborhood. Um, but it was exciting being in there. And I think what felt special about this whole thing was the energy. I mean, the energy was just incredible being among all these people and just 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 seeing it. And, and it was something I'll never forget. And especially a very important moment for me was seeing Lady Gaga very close because I was a big fan of hers back then. And speaking to Mark Ronson, uh, who was her producer while drinking coffee with him on the red carpet. So, and then meeting Olivia Coleman, who won for best actress and taking a picture with her and just, and just seeing all that and being part of it was just like a, I called it the Cinderella story. One day Cinderella wakes up and I had a blue dress anyway, like Cinderella and blonde hair. <laughs> I really wanted to have that um, character there because it felt like Cinderella moment that goes to the ball and it's midnight and then it's time to go back <laughs> to the regular life she used to have once. But I didn't, I didn't meet a prince there, so that's oh. the story. <laughs> I wish it was. <laughs> well, you never know. You could have and just you don't know it yet. But. Possibly, yes. Mark Ronson, I guess, was the prince, but not in that sense, not in the romance sense. <laughs> right. I can't even imagine being around that kind of energy and that much energy and photographers and just the whole thing. It would seem a little overwhelming. Yes, so. it was. It was very overwhelming, but so empowering and so exciting that it just flew by literally like a dream. <laughs> That's what it felt like. What was your purpose there? And did you at least meet, if not exceed that purpose at the Oscars? Well, that's a great question. I mean, my personal purpose at the time was seeing Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper in person because I was obsessed with A Star is Born and I really wanted to see them perform. Um, and so I was happy that I was there for that moment. And I really wanted to talk to Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper, which didn't happen, but at least I saw Lady Gaga <laughs> close enough. So I fulfilled my purpose, I guess, my personal one. Um, professionally, I was there to cover for female filmmakers and um, there, were there were female filmmakers who won an Oscar for a short film called Bao and I was able to talk to them and interview them and then write the story. So I think I achieved it to the best that I could at the time for, for the reason that I was picked to be there, if you put it that way. <laughs> That's amazing. How much exposure when people are on your blog, how do you get them the underdog, the exposure that they need? 
So a lot of times, um, because I'm in this field, I have people contact me or write me or tell me about something they're doing. And so I really want to help them in the sense that I put their story out there. For example, I'm interviewing a Bulgarian actress who's in Hollywood who is going to be in a typical season three. Um, and she got a pretty good role there. So she's kind of like getting up there now. So I want to promote her, write about her on the blog and then put it out there so people can see because I have connections. And when I promote it, people tend to see it. One example I have is I was doing PR for um, two millennials here in Chicago for a project they had. And so they were just looking for simple exposure for something fun they were trying to do, which ended up being something bigger than they expected because I connected them with someone who is in the film industry and he liked what they were doing. And so he signed up to work with them and then he provided them with the equipment and stuff like that. So you never know what comes out of it. But I still like to write about them, like Yelena de Leon. She's an actress in Hollywood. She was on Will and Grace. She's in different things as well. But um, because I consider myself as a... <laughs> as an entertainment journalist underdog in a way, because I'm trying to get exposed there, <laughs> you know, trying to work my way up there. Um, but it's not easy. So I relate to them and I want to help them. I'm all about helping people and connecting them. I love it. That's so exciting. Now I hear a little bit of an accent. Wait, first I want to talk <laughs> about how we met. So I freelance for a company that, and I use a casting call program because I'm traveling to London from the mm -hmm. U.S. And I don't know anyone really. I know, well, I know a couple of people, two people in London, um, but I really needed to get exposure to have interviews while I'm in, in London. So I put the information out on a, a casting call platform and you con connected with me through that. Yes. But you're in Chicago. So yes. when you connected with me and you said, uh, hey, can we, can we do this interview anyway? I'm like, if you want to meet me in London, we could do it. But <laughs> otherwise, you're in Chicago. And so I can't do it um, virtually over the internet. But I asked you to tell me a little bit about yourself. And um, your story was so fascinating to me that I actually, for the company that I freelance for, I had you go through a process that I was starting for beta testers. So you did this whole process for me, which was cool. And I'm like, your story is so amazing. Why don't you be on my podcast? So because my, my freelance work with the company and my personal work are basically so aligned, you can't really tell where one leaves off and the other begins. Um, it made it so that you were a perfect fit for two completely different things. But we met on a backstage casting um, platform for me reaching out for people in London. How crazy is that? That is super crazy, but I believe everything happens for a reason and people always connect for a reason. Nothing is coincidental and I believe God works in mysterious ways. Uh, and we all connect with the people we have to connect with. So um, I'm not surprised we did because I really had a great time helping you on that other project and doing that Pinterest board and the advice you gave me was great. And I was able to see some things. Um, 
in a visual way, which was quite interesting. Haven't done that before and I'm a visual person. So it kind of helped me feel a little bit better in terms of where I am right now, which is a transition slash healing stage. That's something else I'll talk about later, but uh, backstage, I'm on backstage because I also try to do modeling, some acting, and I'm also on a show that I found through the same platform called Radical Body Transformation. It's a reality show on Amazon. I'm in season three. Um, so it's not easy. It's about losing weight and um, looking your best, I guess. And I have a coach that I work with. Um, so I'm on that show. And then I was on an extra on another film that I found again through this platform. So it, I think it's a great platform. I mean, I really like the platform. I was surprised. I actually used three different platforms and I've gotten very little feedback from the other two. Mm-hmm. But this one, I've really gotten quite a bit. And I've been approached twice. <laughs> So I didn't think about the fact that if you're on a casting call platform and your profile is there and your information is there. So I, I got an email and I thought it was about the London interview and, um, it ended up being, they were asking me to do something. And I was like, me, you're asking me to do something, you know, like to actually be in something. So I need, I really, because I was like, I have to revisit what that, if I, what yeah. that means, but that it was so fun. It was such a, yeah. I, I also believe that things are meant to kind of fall in place Absolutely. the way they did. So it was just a, Meeting you through social media was the most backwards way I've ever met someone. So take me back now. Now is where I want to kind of go back in time. I, you have an accent that's not really strong. And but maybe it's there. It's there. It's there. That's a good thing. So let's jump into your story. So my story is, well, it's a long story, but um, I come, I was originally born in Bulgaria. Um, I'm 34. I'm, I don't feel embarrassed revealing the age. I know for some reason why women have a problem with it. <laughs> I mean, even if I was 50, I feel like I'm 50. It is what it is. <laughs> um, and so I was born in Bulgaria in a small town called Kustendil, um, close to the mountains. And so what happened was um, at the age of 13, I would say, I started having problems with my weight. I had anorexia, um, going to bulimia, and it was a very tough moment because I was under 100 pounds, which you can't tell now, but back then it was was almost leave or die situation. And so part of it was because I was struggling with tension at home. My parents uh, were fighting a lot and there, there's my, my parents were also very, very tough. And I mean, being a parent now, I don't blame them. They were trying to find out the best way to be parents, but it didn't work at the time for me. Uh, I was very controlling and they didn't really let me be myself they were trying to force me to do things that they thought I should be doing in terms of career and so forth. And then I was also in a school for um, biology and the classmates I was with were very um, hard on me. They were very, they were bullying a lot and it was very difficult to be around them because I didn't feel comfortable. I had to change schools to feel comfortable. And the reason why I was bullied was because I was simply smart, smart in the sense that I would, um, I seemed nerdy to them at the time and they didn't like that. They were all about partying and having fun and they couldn't understand why I was in the same way. So it was very hard. And, and so what happened was I, w- I was part of a fan club called Hanson 
Bob Hansen. <laughs> I'm not a fan anymore, but I was at the time a huge fan. <laughs> and so a friend of mine who was also part of the same club told me about this school in Maine called Freiburg Academy. And she's like, oh, I'm going to apply to this school in America. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's so much fun. Could I apply as well? And she's like, yeah, sure. So I did it as fun. I didn't do it knowing I was going to go to America. I just did it so I could show my friend that I could apply as well. And let's see what happens. And so I applied and then kid you not, I get in, um, a letter from the, uh, from them saying, congratulations, you've been accepted and you have, and I had this huge scholarship to go. And I was like, what, this is for real. So I understood that this was a pivotal time of my life and my parents had to make a choice. So they let me stay in the toxic environment that I was at in terms of bullying, suffering from anorexia and bulimia, or let me go. And so I said, I really want to go. I think this is a change I need. Um, and so it was the first time anyone left from the school far away, away in another country. So I kind of paved the way for others um, in that sense. And then I came to the boarding school at 15 in Freiburg Academy, Maine. And they helped me a lot in terms of dealing with um, anorexia and bulimia. It took a few years, but um, I was finally able to um, to recover and, and fix it. I think because I changed the toxic environment I was in, which helped a lot. So then um, I graduated high school there um, in, in Maine. And I, I was thinking because that's how I was polished and brainwashed to be a doctor. It wasn't what I wanted. And so I applied to a bunch of pre-med schools. But I got accepted in one, which was in Wilson College, Pennsylvania, all-women college. And they also gave me a huge scholarship. And so I went, um, and I spent a year and a half studying that there, biology, pre-med. But then I became depressed because it was just studying. I was very intense. There was nothing else. I mean, I made great friends. But other than that, it was a lot of uh, – it was very intense. And so – um, they, they put me on antidepressants. And so I decided again to leave the environment that I was in, which was toxic for me at the time and go back to Bulgaria and quit everything. My parents again were furious. My mother and my father, they didn't want to talk to me. Everyone was against me. Um, but either way, I didn't listen as I never do. And, uh, <laughs> and, and so I stayed for an year to kind of find my way, recover from the depression. Um, and I did. Um, I did recover. I wasn't on antidepressants anymore, again, because I changed the toxic environment. Um, and so I decided to sign up for something else. And I was always good at writing. I was always winning awards, but I kind of thought it was a hobby. And so I um, went to the American University in Bulgaria and I became, um, I mean, I signed up to be a journalism major. And I happened to be really good at it, almost like, wow, I found my calling. So I graduated that. Um, during college, I went to Sweden, where I did uh, some journalism studying as well in Gothenburg, Sweden. Then I went to South Africa doing an investigative uh, internship there for a few months in Cape Town. Um, and then I... I again found myself in a state where where I should go next, what am I supposed to be doing? But um, I decided to come here in Chicago and I did my master's in journalism in Roosevelt University. And so what happened here though during my master's is, um, well, the backstory to that is because it to connect, my mother was here. And the reason why my mother was in Chicago was because she left my father so she could be with me in America. Okay. 
and she couldn't take it not being around me or whatever. And so she came to Chicago and she remarried uh, a different person who died, by the way. And now she's back with my father again. Um, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> we got to go back. We got to go back. Yeah. Hey, hang on. Um, okay. The anorexia and bulimia. Um, so you were getting bullied in school because you're talking about at 13 years old. Yes. And that's a really s- severe eating disorder. Yes, it was. And your parents, you're telling me your parents didn't get along well and you're getting bullied at school. So that was the, that was the reason why, the catalyst behind the eating disorders. Did your parents recognize it? Did they try to get you help for it? What, where were you at then, thinking if you were thinner it would be better? So what happened was um, I I was chubby. I was always chubby. And I missed another important part of the story was I was also into a dance. I was in a dancing club. And so I loved dancing. And the teacher told me because I was chubby, you can't be in the front row because you're fat. And so that really hurt me at the time. And I, and I told myself, well, I'll prove her wrong. I'll lose weight and she'll put me in the front row. And so she did. I ended up being in the front row, one of her best dancers, which was modern ballet. But she was crying on the front seats telling me you were so skinny and you could barely move that, you know, it was kind of like scary to watch you dance. And so she was always apologizing to me for ever commenting on my weight at such a young age. But again, she was in the business of doing so because for... I guess you have to understand the culture for Bulgarians. Even now, the weight is such a huge thing. Like if you're fat, you're almost like outcasted from society. You're supposed to be thin to be beautiful. You're supposed to be thin to for men to like you. And you're supposed to be thin to um, participate in dense things. And I was trying to change it by just being me. And But I was chubby. I was born chubby. Um, my Russian side, because my dad's Russian, they're all chubby. So it's in the genes. So I had to fight the genes and I went to this strict diet. All I would eat was yogurt for like one year. I lost my period. I didn't even have my period. So I had to take hormones to bring it back. <clears throat> Excuse me. They were threatening with hospital hospitalization. If it didn't change, you could see my bones sticking out. It was very sad. And my parents saw it. They saw everything, but I just didn't know how to deal with it because in Bulgaria, mental illnesses, I guess, are not so common and they think it's something else blame it on something else force her to eat which didn't work instead of them forcing me to eat I would throw the food in their face it was it was really bad I remember throwing cucumbers in my mother's face and saying don't don't make me eat that and she would cry she wouldn't get what's going on um so they couldn't they couldn't help me I think they probably made it worse in some sense because they didn't know how to deal with it and they didn't understand it um, and then the bullying at school was rough because I would wear baggy clothes. I remember really baggy clothes where everybody else was wearing normal clothes. And they were always like, Nicoletta, what's going on? Why are you wearing these baggy clothes? And they would make fun of it. And the guys would make fun of it. And and then when I would get great grades, they're like, oh, here comes the nerd again. And it was just, I remember it was awful. And um, what kept me going was a lot for writing. I used to write stories and the dreams that I could travel somewhere one day. I just didn't expect it to be so soon at 15. But it was what helped me because it came a point where I really had to leave or I probably I was gonna, you know, go unfortunately. I would just I would just gotten thinner and thinner. You were killing killing yourself essentially. Right. And your parents were struggling a lot within their marriage. And what about 
because letting, I can't imagine letting my daughter go to another country at 15 unless you, (laughs) right. Unless you were in a situation where you knew that child would be able to get so much more there than the country that you were in. Did that play a role in it also, the country that you were in Bulgaria? I think so, because they ultimately didn't see a future for me or my brother in that case in in Bulgaria, because, um, I mean, it's a beautiful country, but just if you want to make it, I guess you can make it anywhere now. But at the time they saw for me to make it, I have to go to America. It was just this great place that dreams come true. And, and I think my mother had sick ambitions and she in a way still does. And for me to live with her was very toxic because she would try to push and manipulate and and just just want so much out of me and um and just try to mold me into somebody that I'm not she would always kind of like um up to this day the creative side of me she just had problems with it she couldn't understand the creative part in her eyes if I wasn't a doctor it was almost like you're a failure um and so I think when she found out that I was going to America was like wow here's a ticket to a better place and and I think she could do it and my father was more so fighting against it because he's like well she's a kid what is she gonna do what if she dies I mean she's currently struggling with anorexia no one's gonna watch her there um but I think ultimately they believe they'll do better and that things will be okay so it's kind of like blind faith and they sent me away but when it happened I think my mother really cried like her her soul and heart crushed. She couldn't take it and she was worried. So she tried to find ways to come here. Um, she got travel visas a couple of times to come see me. And um, and she would come and see me for a few days and go back. And then she just couldn't take it. And she told me she wants to move in here in Chicago. And 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 so she came to Chicago. She had a few relatives. Um, she met a man here. She fell in love. So she divorced my father. So my father ended up leaving alone for her. 15 years or so um and she married and she decided to stay here um just to be close to me and and so that's the story and she would always try to pull me close and close to her almost like she could never let me go um and and so um oh I lost track of the story (laughs) that's okay because I want to go back again when you arrived in Maine um to the boarding school I mean, I think it was brave and scary, and I, I understand where you were, where it was like, this is actually a chance that you could save your life, I could save your life, you know. Um, but how did they help you with the anorexia and bulimia? And the other thing that I want to touch base on is you were being pushed a lot to be a doctor, and I think it's hard for people in education when you have somebody that's really smart. Mm-hmm. And has the ability to do it, but you're not passionate about it. I mean, if you're not passionate about it, it doesn't matter. But I get, I I at least have an understanding that from the educational department, it's like Mm -hmm. you're good at, you're good enough and smart enough to do this more easily than most people. So why wouldn't you want to? Right. Um, We'll touch on that after I kind of want to, I want to cover that four years and how you got through the anorexia and bullying, because that's huge. And taking medication to get your periods back and it's huge. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Absolutely. So what happened was when I came to America um, for the first time, I remember being so overwhelmed and so excited and I wasn't even scared. And that's the funny part. I was sad because I was missing 
friends and family what I knew, but I was more so excited and, and just happy to be in a new place. And I ended up in a boarding school that had boarding parents um, living on, I'm not sure they lived on the same floor in the same building, but they kind of monitored what the students were like, what they were doing. And so they helped me get through it a lot. Um, I started um, as a cheerleader because I was so skinny. And so I remember the cheerleading coach, who was also a nurse, noticed that what I would do, and she noticed I was too thin, I wouldn't eat, or if I eat, I would go to the bathroom. And she said, Nicoletta, if you want to be on this team, you have to stop. You just have to stop. You can't do that. And so she told everybody in the dorms about my case to the teachers. So they would always be like, Nicoletta, I think it smells like vomiting. Did you vomit again? And sometimes I wouldn't have done it. And I'd be like, no, I didn't do it this time. But they were really on me. And and they would talk to me. And then I remember seeing a lot of fat people around me. And I was like, well, they seem happy. Maybe I should just start eating again. And it was a slow process. And then at some point, I remember eating two donuts. And the nurse looks at me. She's like, Nicoletta, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm enjoying those donuts. And I was eating two donuts. And I started enjoying food again. And uh, I made a lot of friends. It was just very positive atmosphere. for, And, and then I found theater and at the high school I started doing theater as well and doing drama and and just being very creative and I think the fact that I was finally allowed to do something creative and just be you know into dancing or theater or writing or whatever it might be at that school that allowed me to do that would, would make me happy and and it kind of brought my soul back and I slowly started to come back to life. I mean, it took three, four years, but, um, but I did it and I was, I was very proud of it. And at the end, I won a speech contest because I wrote about my anorexia story and I told it in front of the whole school. And then I had a few girls come up to me crying, saying, thank you for sharing the story with me because that's what I'm going through. And funny enough, um, 20 years later, I get a Facebook message from a friend of mine. She said, Nicolette, if it wasn't for your story, I don't know where I would have been today. Thank you. Really helped me. And I, re I couldn't believe it, that, that the story made an impact on somebody. Um, Absolutely. I can. So you, that's amazing that the coach, that everybody rallied to help you. I love that. And then you decided to go to pre-med. Was it the pressure of everybody, including back home, wanting you to do that? And the fact that you're smart enough to do it and you scholarship? I mean, that's pretty, that's amazing. That's great. But yes. tell me about how that be, started to become toxic. And you didn't go back to the eating disorders. So, no, I didn't because I think at the time I had started to be healthier again mentally and just um, enjoy life as it is. But the problem was because I didn't really know who I was or what I wanted to do because I was brainwashed for 13 years or so. You could be a doctor, you should be. So I believe that's what I wanted and that's what I should be. And so I automatically started following it, even though I wasn't exactly excited about it. And so when I applied to those schools, I was getting frustrated and I'm not um, getting scholarships because I couldn't afford it otherwise until Wilson College gave me the huge scholarship and said, yes, you can study pre-med here, but it's so women. And that scared me a little bit because um, I like diversity being with men and women. And when I went to Wilson and I started actually learning it and going in it and doing volunteering at hospitals, I was like, no, this is not me. I can't do this. So my soul started crashing again, almost like I became a robot just doing it, but I didn't like it. 
And the atmosphere was um, was tough because all you do is study all day. You don't do anything for fun. It's just women everywhere. And so I started rebelling a little bit by going to clubs somewhere far away or finding, I don't know if I should even say that, finding guys from other places. And the women at the college would be like, Nicoletta, can you find me someone too? And I was like, what am I the go-to person for men now? And so, and so instead of studying, I started to find rebellious, not so healthy ways to cope and, and just party it up. And then eventually my system crashed and I started being really depressed. I couldn't get off of bed. And then they sent me to the um, school therapist or psychologist and she diagnosed me with uh, depression. She gave me antidepressants. I started taking them, but that didn't help. They made me sleepier than ever. And so um, I was talking to my parents and I said, listen, I have to come back because I can't, I can't do this. And so I did, I came back and I couldn't think of going back to that college ever again. And so I decided to stay, but I had to fight them to do so. And they were very angry at me, almost like putting me down for my decision. And I had to go to therapy in Bulgaria as well. And then she got me off, the the therapist got me off the antidepressants. And I remember meeting a boy and I fell in love with him. And that helped me. He was great for the time, for the year that I was there and kind of brought me back to life and then finding journalism in the American university for affordable money. And I still getting an American degree. Um, and that helped. And I found slowly found my way through create creativity and, and things I'm good at. So the, your parents just, or I don't know if it's the culture in Bulgaria or I think it's here too, because I was a journalism major back in eight, 1988, you know, but, we didn't have internet that, that it was like a stupid thing to do because you had to type your manuscript and make copies and mail it like in the post office, you know, <laughs> and, and hope you got noticed. And so it was, it wasn't an easy career to be in. Still not. <laughs> Still not. Yeah, that is correct. But your parents, how did you finally, how did you find the American University and how did you find that journalism was the place that you fit? Well, I was trying to figure out for that one year, actually for six months, I wasn't doing anything but trying to recover and being with friends and family. And then I realized I found there's a university in Bulgaria, in Blagojevgrad, which was an hour away from me. That was American, gives you an American degree, and it's super cheap compared to the American universities here. And so I was like, hmm, maybe I should go here because I really want to study. I just don't know what. And so I remember going through the different majors they had, and I'm like, nope, nope, nope. And then I look at journalism, and I'm like, wait a minute, but I'm a writer. I write. I do it as a hobby, but why not as a career? And so that's how it got me started. And I remember talking to the professors and they were saying, Nicoletta, you were a pre-med. Now you're a journalist. Do you want to be a, a, a health reporter? What do you want? And I said, I really don't know. I'm just here for the writing and finding it out. And apparently it turned out to be really good at it. Um, I was the assistant to the professor at some point, And then I was an editor at a a magazine called Verve, and I really flourished mm. in that space. Um, I even got a scholarship to study in Sweden, where I went to study journalism in Gothenburg, and obviously how I was accepted as an internship in South Africa. So I really, in a way, found a calling in helping people with my writing and um, helping myself, I guess. 
That's that awesome cool. that you you looked through everything and decided that's where you fit. That's fantastic. Then you end up going to Sweden and Africa. So tell me about um, once you finish at the American College in Bulgaria, you have an American degree, and yes. then you head to Sweden and Africa. And tell me about those experiences. So Sweden, in Sweden, I was for three months. Um, I was studying, a, they call it an Erasmus student, which means that you're an exchange student, but they pay for everything. So it's free ride. And I enjoyed it because I had to learn. I learned about the Swedish culture. I learned um, at a university that was teaching um, some courses in English, obviously, because I didn't speak Swedish um, and, and the journalism there. And then I did uh, photography for a journal, uh, for a magazine um, in in the university, which was also great. Get got to see how journalism works in Sweden. The experience there was okay. I mean, I enjoyed it, but I had my dark moments. It was very dark. Uh, it wasn't a warm country. Um, mm. I liked it, but I wouldn't go back. I mean, I didn't fall in love with it. Or I didn't love it. It was just an experience, and um, I learned from it. And I came back home like it's okay. Africa was another question. I fell in love with Cape Town. I fell in love with a guy for the first time, real <laughs> in Africa. And before going there, that's another story because my parents were against it. They didn't want me to go to Africa. I didn't have the money. They didn't have the money. And so I just got $200. I don't even remember from where. And I said, listen, I don't care if you let me or don't let me. I'm going. And so um, I knew that my roommate was from Africa. She's Bulgarian, but lived in Africa in Johannesburg. And she promised to wait for me at the airport, help me out. That didn't happen. When I went there at the airport, nobody was there. I called my friend and she apologized, crying, I'm sorry, I couldn't make it. Please figure out your own way. And thank God I had a plan B <laughs> stuck in Cape Town's airport <laughs> with $200. Um, and plan B was contacting the agency who gave me the internship originally to work for Noseweek. That was the name of the magazine. And so they found me a house that I could share with other Germans. And it was just Germans there. <laughs> and so um, I remember arranging a payment plan with them to, to help pay for it. And they were very understanding. And so I ended up living there and falling in love with a German guy completely head over heels. He was just my friend. And that was the problem. I wanted more, but he wouldn't give me more. And it was my first huge heartbreak <laughs> in life um, while doing a, an internship in an investigative magazine that wouldn't even put your name on the magazine because it was so dangerous. Um, and I ended up working with a reporter who happened to... Um, in America, you would call it sexual assault. In Africa, you would call it, oh, I'm just flirting, <laughs> where it got so bad. I told the publisher, I said, listen, uh, the reporter is really hitting on me. He wants me to be his girlfriend or leave his wife. I don't feel comfortable working here. Can you do something about it? And the publisher was like, nope, that's the way it is here. Just ignore him. And I said, I can't ignore it. it I don't feel comfortable. And then I told the, um, the agency that I work with, and they supposedly were going to talk to them, figure it out, but I just couldn't do it anymore. And it got so bad. Some guy went to fight with the reporter outside. <laughs> I was like, no, I can't do this. This is just not normal anymore. <laughs> and I was really crushed because money were running, 
were running low and I was working under the table as a waitress um, in some restaurant I found nearby and it was it was exciting I mean I loved it I loved everything but the fact that the money were running low and this guy was sitting on me and it was getting really uncomfortable and I had to leave and so um, I remember crying so bad for this guy and I wanted to leave him and eventually he ended up with someone else and I was so heartbroken. My first huge heartbreak in life that actually led me to my marriage later on. But um, And yes, yeah, so I came to Chicago afterwards. I told my mother what happened and she advised me to come for a little bit in Chicago and so I did. And then I went back to Bulgaria um, and graduated college. Holy with, cow. Yeah. I mean, you don't do anything just in a straight line. No, <laughs> that's not my life. <laughs> not at all. So you go to Chicago and you're get, you get your master's degree in Chicago. And did you like it there? Do you fit? I mean, you're still there. I'm but still here. <laughs> you're still, yeah. Um, so you like it there. Your mom's a little overbearing. A little is understatement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm being too polite. <laughs> you can so, say it as it is. <laughs> yeah. So she's overbearing. And yes. um you but you love it in Chicago and you get your masters in journalism there. I wouldn't say love it. I, I don't love Chicago. I like it. It's okay. I mean, it's my home now, I guess, because my daughter was born here. But um when I did my masters I mean, it was okay. I liked it, but I had issues. I was living with my mother and that created issues. It always does because my yeah. mother never changes. And so again, this had an influence in another decision I made in my life because I went to this audition for a music video and because I always loved dancing, I never forgot the dancing and I was still fit at the time. And I remember answering a call for a dancer who was size eight, Eastern European. And I'm like, wow, this is me. And so I went and that's where I met the father of my daughter. He was a music producer there. Um, and I thank God the video didn't end up being released because it was so embarrassing just dancing there for <laughs> now thinking about it. But, but I met him and so he became my scapegoat. I had issues with my mother. She was dating um, some other guy at the time while still married to this other guy. It was just too much. And and so my escape was the guy. And I said, listen, are you looking for a roommate? Can we move in together? I know it's too fast. And um, he was like, absolutely. And so we moved in together to the suburbs and I ended up getting pregnant and before being married. And uh, that was another thing that made my mother lose her mind. She stopped talking to me. She wanted me to do abortion. She was just very, very negative, and she, I lost her support, and so I was alone again, pregnant with this guy, and thank God for his mother, because um, she, she was very, very nice, and very helpful, and got me through this, and, and so every time my mother came to terms praying, and asking for forgiveness, that she wanted me to do all these things, and, um, and so I was scared, because I was still doing my master's, I didn't graduate yet, and I was pregnant with her, and, I um, got my master's with a baby in my arms. <laughs> I was able to graduate, uh, but unfortunately, and then we ended up marrying each other because that was the only solution I could see. I mean, I had a baby, uh, no one else was willing to help me. Um, and, and so we married, but it was really tough. He was, he was very abusive and he took a lot of liberties and things he shouldn't have. 
And unfortunately, um, my daughter, as young as she was, she was a baby. She would see things she shouldn't. And and so um, it got so bad one night that a police guy, well, the police was involved many times. Um, but that one last time was what you, they told me, they said, what are you doing here? Why don't you just get your bags and leave? And, and I tried many times, but it was hard. I mean, I was a victim at the time. Um, as victims, you have, you have issues, you have problems, you don't want to leave and so forth. Um, and so, and so, at this particular moment when the police told me that, I don't know, something clicked and I said, yes, you're right, I should. And I was scared. I was really scared, but I knew that they were downstairs and nothing would happen. And I remember grabbing my bags and just leaving, just going and running away with her to um, to my mother's house. And I never looked back. And that's when we separated. And it took a while for us to get divorced afterwards because at some point we came back together. I mean, it, it was a process of me leaving this this marriage and her father. I mean, now I'm okay with him. I forgave and all that, but it was a really difficult time for me. It was very difficult, um, but it taught me. I was very naive, um, trusting men very easily and finding them as tickets to escape my mother and... <laughs> trying to love myself through them which was very wrong um but we we learn our lessons so so that's the story there and your daughter's how old now she's nine yay so you're still in chicago yes i think it's interesting that your mom was so upset about you getting pregnant before being married because she's married to your dad and with another yeah. guy here divorces yeah. your dad to be with him then is with someone else well exactly. i mean like really yeah because <laughs> you didn't get pregnant by i don't understand like the pregnancy is what bothers you okay so you have you're still in chicago you've stayed in chicago correct yes the, so 2009 yeah Okay. So since then you're there and now you get your master's with a baby in your arms. And now here we are nine years later. So I'm glad things are going fine with your ex-husband and everything's good with your daughter. That part's great. For now they're okay, but they weren't. <laughs> yeah. It took a long time to get here. <laughs> it does sometimes. I mean, you know, it's good that it happened, that they reached a good place. Um, that doesn't usually happen. So the divorce was messy. The divorce yeah. was messy um, and very challenging and difficult. Um, but I'm glad the one who helped me was there by my side so I could, you know, um, not be afraid and get custody of her and all that stuff. Yeah. Is your mom, now you said your mom's back in Bulgaria with your dad again <laughs> okay she nope. did that for a while she never no she never left what happened was okay. she brought my father here uh, oh okay so i currently leave with them both but that's because of financial reasons not of a choice i mean now i live with both of them and sometimes it feels like i'm reliving the past and i just um i mean with different eyes now because i'm older and i have my own daughter but um they, yeah, what happened was with her was she was alone and she was lonely and she decided she'll bring him back here and he's changed, but he's not that much changed. He's the same. Um, and, and going back to my father, he was always very critical, very negative. And um, 
never really showing any love and very distant. And I think that's another reason why it pushed me towards men that were very similar um, like him. And I found almost like home with them, but I should have run from them instead of (laughs) trying to find that father love I didn't have for so long. And he's still the same up to this day now, except I just don't pay attention to it like I did before. I find ways to cope um, better. You're good at recognizing eventually the toxic situation and in the past getting out of it. So I'm sure you have, you already are formulating your escape plan. (laughs) Yes. I'm looking for a place to live and uh, I know my mother's not going to like it again. It's going to be a fight leaving. (laughs) It's just always a fight with her for everything I'm trying to do. Tell me about the website and the blogging because you've been blogging for a long time. Um, when I was stalking you, you know, uh, <laughs> I went to your profile and you've been doing this since 2007. So it's not a new thing. Tell uh, yeah. me how that came to be and how you took your master's in journalism and what you're doing with that. Um, so when I was, you know, uh, praying with her and then when I graduated, I had to make a living somehow. So I started doing freelancing for Bulgarian, mag- uh, Bulgarian newspaper at first and then other publications. And so, excuse me, when I divorced with my uh, ex-husband or I left him, I, I found a job in a newspaper called Extra and I was a managing editor for a few years and then left. But that's where I found entertainment as my passion and I started making connections. And so when I left, I was very lost and I decided to start a blog and just do what I love anyway. Um, and so I just kept it. And so I started working at a fitness center because I had to provide for me and my daughter and because my ex wouldn't help me much uh, with, with fi- financially. And that's where I, I met um, my ex-boyfriend now, um, who also kind of helped me get through it and helped me get through the divorce. And um, and I was with him for five years. And that's why I said healing transitioning stage now is because he left me um, for, because he just couldn't bear the responsibilities of being a stepdad. He wanted, as he put it, a sexier, thin chick, and he was body shaming me for a while. And so I had to leave. There was another toxic, um, relationship with a guy who was body shaming, always comparing me to other women and would like do things behind my back. And, and I would accept it almost like, you know, be okay with it when I shouldn't have been because he would take me on vacations and he would help me out and with my daughter and with me not being a single person. Um, And so leaving him was finding me and continue with my profession um, as well because, um, oh, so I'm losing track here of my thoughts. Um, and so, yeah, I, I continue the blog. It, it, it gets me through the day. Um, and knowing that I'm helping others as well. And, and so I just apply and I find opportunities and I just do them and I just try to, um, to continue doing so in the midst of toxicity and people that, that are, you know, unfortunately not good for me, but I'm learning to love myself more and not let them in or not affect me to a point where I really lose it and can't function. 
um, because the current ex-boyfriend was with me through everything, every event. He even came with me to the Oscars. He wasn't in the Oscars, but he was around. Um, and so I, I had his support, but now I'm completely on my own and I feel good actually. I feel happy, um, because I'm finally seeing things and breaking through that baggage and, and things that, that I should have. And this is helping me a lot talking to you. Um, oh, good. <laughs> process and seeing things and where they come from. Well, I think that that's an important thing. And then talk to me about your daughter. She's nine. I have a daughter that's also nine. So I understand right. that age. Yeah. Yeah. I have a nine-year-old. So tell me, talk to me a little bit about her in with toxic people everywhere. And body shaming isn't just in the relationships you're choosing, although I want to punch people in the face for you. But, you know, I mean, like it's in, we are taught that we should be lived to this standard that's not attainable because there's so much airbrushing of the photos. There's, they're not real anymore. Yeah. The, the, the images that we see aren't real. And yeah, we're trying to achieve them and feeling like we're falling short because it's not possible to achieve what we see. So I think that whole thing is absolutely ridiculous. It makes me infuriated, but certainly you shouldn't have to experience that in your own life. How are you switching gears from toxic environments, even with your parents now and helping your daughter not live through some of what you lived through? I mean, that was the hard part. That's the hardest part of all of it, that she looked at me in the eyes and she said, mommy, why are all men mean to you? And I said, that's not a question you should be asking me. And so that's the reason why I left her father. And she knows why I left her father. She knows exactly the reason why. Um, and she knows the reason why I left the current ex-boyfriend, who was her stepfather in a way, um, was because I don't want her to see someone treat her mother less than she deserves and I always talk to her about self-love and loving herself and being strong and I think she's smarter than me in some ways and she sees things at a very young age that I didn't see in my 20s and I'm like what and that makes me happy because she she's very smart and she understands and she sees things and she's she's going through a lot herself but we also go to therapy and we work things through we talk and I'm trying to show her by example, I guess, even though as a mother, I, you know, it had, it happened. I have to accept it and forgive myself that, that she was in those situations, um, just to see that. But, um, she's happy actually living here with her grandparents. She doesn't understand Bulgarians. So when we talk, she has no idea what's going on, um, which is great. Um, so, I mean, they're okay now. They're not like they used to be when I was, um, when I was growing up, but, I'm really trying for her and I to move on and have our separate lives um, away. But break, breaking away from my mother has been my life's hardest mission. I mean, I left the country and she still came as, as for like leaving an apartment. So <laughs> she's really overbearing, probably the most overbearing person I've ever met in my life. Um, and ha she has a hard time letting people be the way they are and not in some image that she wants them to be and if it doesn't fit and my father is very critical up to this day I mean I currently won an award I mean I've been winning a lot of awards but when I tell him the same question did you win any money if not what's the big deal almost like putting you down for for something that he should be proud of so I started not even letting that in 
but more so that's the way he is. He's miserable. He's projecting about his own failures in life and he has a lot of them. Um, so I'm just, so tell me about the, tell me about the awards you're winning and what you're doing now with the journalism, including the, if, if we tie it back into the blog, um, tell me what awards you've been winning and what you're the most proud of. Um, so I, I think I'm very proud of my blog winning a national award this year. It won a national award for a best blog, uh, from the NA, NAHP, um, National Association for Women Journalists. I don't know. I can't remember the abbreviation now, but, um, it won a national award and I was very excited because it was the first time it ever won anything because it was just a hobby up until this point. I mean, it's still, I don't get money out of it. Um, I just did it for the love of it. And just being recognized was great. Um, I've won for my other articles. I had like seven awards or something like that. <laughs> and I, 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 won, I recently won a Bulgarian award for a poem I did. I also have a small book of poems I published at 18, half English, half Bulgarian, about my life, my life story. Um, so I am being recognized for what I'm doing, which is great. Financially, though, it's another uh, problem because – yeah, in a way he's right. I do get recognized and I have the fame and the glory as they say it, but not the money to prove it <laughs> because it's it's just the, the nature of the business. Maybe it's just difficult to make money out of it, but I'm trying because being a creative person is not easy um, and doing what you love and fighting for it. Um, so yeah. I think people always talk about... Well, do what you love and the money will come. And I think, well, that's not entirely true. <laughs> they don't say for how long, 10 years? 20 uh, yeah, well, there, there's that. I know. I've had a blog for eight years. Also, I've never made a dime off of it. it I love doing it, though. And it does, you know, the, the recognition that you get for that can help you in other ways. But it's not a direct mo- result financially. So you have this huge goal, though to use it to help other people who aren't being recognized, which is in part how you have felt off and on your whole life. So I was trying to tie in like, why are you doing what you're doing? Really? You just, you want to help people feel recognized and seen like you were not recognized and seen. And even still, I mean, going to the Oscars, you're, you're making great headway, really awesome (laughs) headway in this. And without awards, you're probably not going to make tons of money (laughs) at blogging or journalism. So, I mean, you are making, it is, I don't want to minimize the accomplishments that you've made at all. What advice would you give to someone else similar to you who really wants to follow what they love instead of what they're being told to do? And how worth it was that to stick with? I want to kind of end there on that note. Well, the advice that I have is pretty much stick to it because even talking to people, I know most people give up and they just do things for, for the money. And I get it. Money's very important, but uh, if you love it, you'll find a way through it. Um, so eventually you'll see the light slowly. I mean, it takes me years to see it, but I do see it. I'm being recognized and people come to me telling me, oh, your story helped me or um, this and that happened. So I continue to walk it and I advise others to do so, not to give up. Um, and I'm also planning and working on a book about my life, uh, memoirs of my life. And the reason for the book is so that others could see the story and somehow benefit from it. And especially women, I'm a big 
fan of empowering women just because my mother was never empowered, treated like a slave for her whole life. Um, I was being pulled down by men and I see other women going through it and some just don't have hope. They think that's the way it is and I'm just going to stick it out. And my advice to them is don't stick it out. Leave as hard as it is. Leave the situation. Leave the guy. It's just the guy anyway. I mean, yeah, your heart's going to be broken, but you just got to love yourself and, and um, do better for yourself because we all have dreams. And if somebody's toxic and trying to tell you, you got to be this way or that way to love you, then they don't love you. They don't deserve to be in your life. And that's something that it took me 10 years to learn, <laughs> trying to mold the man in my life to love me for who I am, my parents to love me for who I am. So eventually I love me the most for who I am. And I don't let others, um, feel less. So that's my advice to everyone who's listening is just to love themselves enough to fight for what they believe in and, and like, and not let others tell them otherwise. Thank you so much, Nicoletta, for being on today. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for having me, Jen. It was great. Thank you for taking the time to get naked with us. If you'd like to bear it all with me, get in touch. Your story is unique and valuable. Let's show it off.